From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Roach. How are you today, Jeffrey? Uh, doing well. We're recording this May 9th, so we're getting closer and closer to the summertime. Uh, how about that for uh, for putting smiles on everybody's faces? Absolutely love it. Uh, 75 and sunny pretty much all weekend here in Boston. Um, it, it is uh, Tuesday morning as we're recording this. Normally do Monday afternoon, but uh, schedules um, pushed us back a day. Uh, but uh, we can still look back at a glorious uh, weekend here. I know it was pretty nice down there in, in Charlotte for you too, Jeff. Uh, so um, here's our agenda for for today. Um, boy, a lot, lot to talk about given we had such a big week of market news last week, right? We had um, uh, the Fed meeting, we had the jobs report. Uh, this continues to be talk about the debt ceiling. So we'll talk about all that. Uh, the main topic for today, though, is King Dollar, the topic of our weekly market commentary, which you can find on, on uh, LPL.com. Uh, so the Bottom line is King Dollar still rules in our view. So we'll make that case for you. Next, uh, I'll highlight, highlight a couple of key earnings season takeaways, and then we'll we'll preview the uh, week ahead. So um, let's start uh, with a market recap, Jeff. And we had you know four down days last week and then a really big rally on Friday. So it wasn't a good week, but it sure could have been a lot worse. With that Friday rally, you know, we ended up, up down a little bit, uh, about three quarters of a percent. Uh, but really, the chart pattern here um, hasn't changed in quite a while. So we're still in that, I don't know, you call it 3,800 to 4,200 range. And, uh, you know, failed a couple of times to try to get over 4,200. So it looks like, you know, that's providing stiff resistance. But we still have this pattern we've talked about the last few weeks of higher lows it's not quite higher highs but those higher lows from october that pattern uh certainly looks nice so you know the chart is somewhat constructive but certainly we want to be a little bit careful uh you know buying aggressively at the high end of the range because we could certainly go right back down and jeff you have increased your odds of of recession here recently maybe a mild one but higher odds of recession and and we know certainly stocks don't tend to do too well heading into one of those. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, adding some of the color that we get from our chief market technician, uh, Adam Turnquist, you know, he was mentioning in this graph, just, you know, higher highs, higher lows. Uh, and you might say, as, as you did, Jeff, rightfully so, well, you know, the higher highs, maybe if you go back, you know, November, January, uh, it's been a, a fairly flat and choppy market. You think about last week, and, and Jeff, you're exactly right. You had a, a Fed meeting, you have this new language on, you know, the the chances of pausing for June, which we think is going to happen, and you know some choppiness with the labor market. So I think we can be more certain we're we're higher lows, and certainly this is somewhat of a bullish trend uh, if you look at it all the way back from October. So it's um, I think the choppiness makes sense when you think about some of the near term risks in addition to the recession, as you just asked me, uh, but also the uh, debates in Washington about the debt ceiling, just to name a few of the multiple challenges right now. Absolutely. So uh, 
you know, let's look at uh, the intramarket returns here. And you see, um, you know, it was a um, little bit of a defensive week, right? Uh, but uh, pretty well losses uh, across the board. I mean, you had some gains in certain markets in, in uh, Europe, but generally down. Um, I like to focus at, at the sector level uh, to get some idea of how confident the market is, right, based on cyclicals versus defensives. And we see, you know, down week for financials. That's the other big story, the big risk out there, uh, which is the um, regional bank health, right? So we continue to get headlines around that and huge moves in some of the regional banks that markets think maybe are um, weaker. And, uh, you know, there you see financials down 2.6% uh, uh, last week. And then we had, um, you know, energy down almost 6%. You know, oil has really uh, struggled here recently. Um, we've talked about that, you know, on this podcast and and elsewhere recently, how the China reopening has not helped oil, frankly. And we're down, you know, we were in the 60s for a bit. Now we've, you know, moved up a little bit from that. But, um, you know, oil continues to struggle. We've downgraded energy to neutral based on the technical analysis work that uh, Adam and the team do. Uh, so that's been a very disappointing place to be, certainly lately. Um, and then you got to look at technology, maybe, Jeff, and then I'll hand it over to you. Tech helped by Apple, right? So the pretty well-received results there. We have a good earnings season generally for tech. Uh, so you got some, you know, some gains there. Uh, what, what other um, kind of moves here catch your eye? Yeah, I think uh, just kind of thumbnail sketch, you know, the energy story, I think, is driven by the global slowdown uh, risks. And so, you know, you see that in the the week and monthly numbers right there in the sector section. And then, of course, I think the other thing that's worth noting is, you know, the the European performance relative to the U.S. So one of the things that we've talked about in our stack meetings, uh, short for strategic and tactical asset allocation committee meetings but in our stack meetings we've talked about you know the fact that you know recession risks in the US are actually higher than they are in Europe right now so that's that's something to uh, take note for sure yeah well we also upgraded our views on international equities uh this month and uh now favor international over the US and certainly that those recession odds are consistent with um with that choice, although they're certainly more involved in that decision, uh, particularly valuations and the potential for a weaker dollar, which ties into our main topic for today. Uh, so turning to fixed income, you know, we had, um, I don't know, kind of mixed performance last week, not particularly big moves. Ten-year yield has been pretty range-bound, mid threes. That's where we think it'll be all year. It'll bounce around a little bit, but uh, there's there's not a particularly interesting story here. A little bit of weakness in credit, which is consistent with what you would see when equities dip. Uh, and then turning over to commodities, there you see the energy move, you know, down 11 percent over the last month, down 7 percent uh, just in the last week alone. So uh, that's energy broadly, including that gas, but certainly uh, oil, a big uh, piece of that. Uh, any comments on um, either the bond market or the commodity markets yet? Yeah, so another shout out, like I mentioned earlier, a great team at LPL Research. Uh, another great team member is Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist. He's got a blog out, Jeff, I think it's worth highlighting. When you look at that left side of the page here with the fixed income moves, you know, we just got out of the Fed the latest senior loan officer survey, the opinion survey. 
And uh, tightening credit has important ramifications for high yields. So uh, just a quick shout out, go to lplresearch.com and you can read a blog post on that. So that's certainly going to be something that's, that's going to add a little more pressure uh, in this space, particularly in the high yield spaces as credit standards tighten. We Good point, uh, Jeff. We continue to recommend high quality bond portfolios, not taking too much mm -hmm. credit risk there, uh, given the, um, the stresses in the banking system, uh, although they're widely known. But uh, certainly the um, tighter credit markets are a, a piece of why we become a little bit more worried about a recession uh, later this year. Um, that'll certainly come up as we move through the, uh, the presentation here, Jeff. So um, in terms of the market recap last week, of course, the Fed was a big story. So we got a couple of slides on the Fed. We got a couple of slides on the jobs report, which was certainly the biggest uh, story on Friday. So I, I think, um, you know, the, the key message I take away from the Fed, I mean, obviously, most people think they're done, right? So that will start there. But what I think is really interesting is as inflation continues to come down, even if they hold rates steady, it's like they're tightening. Yeah, and, and I actually drill into this a little bit more in the Econ Market Minute uh, but for this week. But, you know, I wanted to just a, a quick takeaway for those that are you know, interested in in watching markets and and understanding the interplay between uh, monetary policy and how risk assets trade. I think it's just you know one big takeaway is the fact that inflation is easing allows the Fed to actually consider a pause, maybe later this year, consider an actual cut, and still have the Fed funds rate above inflation rates. And that that's the key. That's the key takeaway. You look at that gray line. Fed funds rate above inflation rate. That means there's a positive real Fed funds rate. That's exactly the kind of leeway and a little bit of that longer leash that the Fed policymakers have right now. So that's certainly um, supportive of what the market's pricing in. We we believe in general that the Fed could respond by easing a bit by the end of the year. Probably not the same magnitude as how the market's trading right now, but uh, this—that's the key takeaway here. Look for a pause in June, and uh, even uh, perhaps a cut by December. You know, the market probably shouldn't be rooting too hard for a cut because a cut means incremental economic weakness, probably unexpected <laughs> incremental economic uh, weakness. Uh, stocks probably do better if we get a pause and a hold because the economy continues to hold up. Uh, at least that that's my take. Uh, but good thought there. So, you know, here's the the pause, right? The um, Or the cuts, really. This is Fed Funds Futures, uh, what they're pricing in right now. And you get a full cut in September, uh, fully priced in. And then you can see all the way on the right-hand side, when you get into January 2024, you get four cuts. These are 25 basis point cuts. So you get almost a full percentage point cut priced in in January of 2024, we think, Jeff, this is this is too aggressive. Yeah, maybe a 50 to 75, but not a full 100. By the way, just for our listeners, just a reminder that you know this is live data. This this moves pretty aggressively. So, for example, we've done this before. I think in blogs or market commentaries where you know we'll show this and in, in the various snapshots 
Jeff, and it kind of illustrates the point that, you know, after a CPI report or after a jobs report, you know, this whole graph can completely move around. Uh, so that's important to, you know, just highlight this is as of, you know, the 8th, uh, May 8th. But, you know, our our point is, yeah, maybe ease a bit. We don't want necessarily a full 100 basis point cut or more because that implies significant weakness. And our main uh, baseline cases as credit tightens, as the consumer slows, as businesses slow, the economy contracts, but it's 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 a shorter and more shallow recession than than your post-war average. So yeah, this this is a quite a volatile uh, snapshot, and you, you'd see that uh, if if we looked at it over time for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so my advice uh, to folks is be careful with your scenario analysis because you can't have a bunch of cuts and a solid economy. <laughs> Those just don't go together. Right. Um, so um, let's turn to the jobs report, Jeff. This this is why we were up so much on uh, Friday, right? I think that S and P was up. 1.8, 1.9% just in that on that day alone. So um, what did the market like? I mean, we got a much better than expected job count, right? But people are certainly concerned still about, about the Fed. So uh, it looked like the market said good news is good news. Right, right. Well, I, I think the market's like that it was a decent jobs report without it being a gangbusters job report. So most people and and most media reports talk about the month to month gains in payroll. There are so many other ways to look at this labor market. One of the things that I think is a little bit alternative view here. One thing is is what I'm trying to get at with this chart here is just to say, okay, instead of just looking at month to month changes because that's very volatile, let's actually look at total employment on a levels basis, not a change basis, a levels basis. And it kind of the point that I'm taking away here is even though the economy has recovered more than in aggregate, more than all the jobs lost since February 2020, it's a very uneven recovery. We still have a lot of jobs lost in the leisure and hospitality space. Those people have moved on to other sectors. And what this graph is just saying is even with the job gains, we're not back to trend. Meaning, hey, there's been people that's graduated from college. They've they should be entering the labor force relative to population growth. What does the trend look like? That's that red dotted line. And the point is that we're we're below trend, uh, even though we've recovered a lot of those jobs back. We're not quite there. We're still, in essence, kind of finding our balance, uh, and it's somewhat of an uneven recovery as we find that balance. That's the key takeaway here from, from this chart. Yeah, certainly nicely ahead of the pre-pandemic levels of employment, but uh, yeah, not not quite where we would have been without a pandemic. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you mentioned some people coming back to the labor force, Jeff. That's what this chart shows, right? We're actually, you know, getting pretty good participation now. Yeah, and I think this is really important to think when, you know, you we have this scenario of recession, perhaps it's, you know, higher probabilities here than in Europe, as we talked about just a couple slides ago. And the follow up question is, well, wait a second, you know, if we don't have a lot of workers or folks have taken early retirements, how are we going to not avoid, you know, a worse deep recession? And, and what I'm 
kind of highlighting here is when you look at the the categories that are most um, impactful in growth, it's the prime age, 25 to 54, the prime age worker. So it cuts out those that are, you know, maybe coming out of high school, uh, maybe associates or maybe college. And it also uh, ignores those that are 55 up, perhaps those that have gone to take early retirement since COVID. Prime age workers are actually back to 2001 levels. If you just take the share of those prime age workers relative to the population, right? We're not going to confuse the fact with, hey, are they looking for a job or not looking? Are they considered unemployed or not? Just say, let's look at employed relative population. We're actually back to uh, levels way before the pandemic, meaning that even as the economy slows, there's enough of those prime age workers that could keep productivity growth enough so that we're not in a in a deep and prolonged recession. That's the kind of how, how this all fits in the big puzzle. A lot of moving parts, but this is one of the really important uh, pieces in the puzzle to talk about. The most exciting thing for me about this chart is that I'm still in my prime, although only barely. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, uh, this is a really important piece of the inflation puzzle, right? Because more labor supply means, in theory, less upward pressure on wages. Of course, something the Fed's watching closely. That's not all that there is to the inflation picture, but uh, it's certainly an important uh, piece. We want people to continue to uh, join the labor force and uh, you know get away from the bidding wars of the last few years and the, and the difficulty finding uh, finding talent. So let's go to the dollar here, uh, Jeff. This has gotten a ton of attention recently. Uh, in fact, I think we we talked about it a little bit on the podcast um, last week. So we were, decided to write a weekly commentary on this. Quincy Crosby uh, did that for us, did a really nice job uh, kind of boiling this down. So, you know, these are really, these are pretty simple concepts, these next two charts. Um, but, you know, they're kind of noisy. It's probably require a little bit of, uh, explanation, but th this is just you know foreign exchange turnover, which is just a transaction has two sides, right? In one currency and out the other. So the share of a currency in trade is you know the all these add up to two hundred percent, right? And so you look at the the U.S. here, the dark blue bar that's you know higher than all the others. These are like you know eighty five ninety percent readings, and they pretty much stayed there. So for global trade. King dollar still reigns, right? So, Jeff, if you look down at these others, I mean, you've got obviously a lot of trade in the euro, uh, certainly, and and a fair amount in in uh, the yen. Fair to say the Chinese yuan is increasingly used in global trade. If you look, you know, this is a uh, a triennial uh, survey from the Bank of International Settlements, so you only get every three years, right? But if you look over to the right, there's clearly a trend uh, of of more uh, in Chinese currency, but it's way down, you know, barely registers still. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you're looking for the green color there with uh, Yuan, the renminbi. And so you really, you know, you don't even see it right until 2010, right? Just that little bit of that green. Uh, and, you know, you see that kind of inching up higher. The, the takeaway for me is that as uh, the infrastructure matures, you're going to see more activity. So, you know, that's that's why you kind of see this maturation in, in the Chinese markets. But, you, you know, if you look at 
some of the headline numbers that come out of the Bank of International Settlements report, you know, I I, I want to give you this uh, stat because I think it's just really pretty impactful. So the U.S. dollar, I'm reading this straight from uh, the BIS's report, U.S. dollar is a component of 88.5% of all FX trading, <laughs> Eight, roughly 89%. This is the latest numbers. Well, it was, it was actually 87% in 2013, 883 in 2019, 88.5 recently. So you actually could say, hey, if anything, it's becoming more and more relevant in terms of just transactions. So I think you might say, okay, well, in some ways, the dollar's sharing the stage, if you will, but there's there's really no data to support that, you know, King Dollars has uh, been kicked off the throne, if you will, to keep the analogy. No doubt. Still still dominant in, in trade, and it's not going to change for quite some time. So this is, um, you know, a little bit of a different perspective, uh, right, Jeff, where we show the percentage of reserves allocated to the dollar globally. And this has been coming down, although after a surge in the 90s, uh, still almost 60%. So I think one thing happening here is you've got, you know, more central banks buying gold. Right. And then, um, you know, you've also had some central banks just decide they want to diversify their currency exposure globally. Uh, but, you know, to me, this. Here again, it's not going to change dramatically over a, in, in, until you get out many decades and something really structurally changes with the U.S. The U.S. has the advantage of transparency, right, credibility, governance, all, all of that. Um, that you really can't match, you know, the Eurozone's fragmented, right, which Quincy discusses in the commentary, and certainly China, uh, you know, doesn't have the predictability and the credibility uh, to be a reserve currency globally. So sure, this is coming down, and, you know, maybe some of the newsletter writers are trying to spook people with this kind of chart where it's coming down, but but this doesn't mean that the dollar is, is going to lose its status uh, as a reserve currency. Uh, or anything like that. But I think it's it's important too, just in terms of part of the the numbers that percentage allocated actually adjust by mere exchange rate values, right? So in terms of you know that as the dollar weakens, perhaps right, the the reserves in essence just become a little bit lower. But I think it's important again, again, key takeaways from all this is you know you you see uh, dollar moves driven by a couple main reasons you know of course one is economic growth paths uh that diverge right think about europe think about asia think about us so diverging growth paths uh diverging inflation scenarios uh perhaps you know diverging activity as central banks manage swap lines right so during the crisis with uh, svb silicon valley bank you know that our central bank was working in conjunction with others with dollar swap lines and of course you know different different policies in terms of you know monetary and fiscal uh, approach so uh you know even though this might look like you know downward trend i don't know if that this chart needs to be taken uh without the context of the previous chart you basically take those two charts together uh to develop your 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 view that dollar probably is still on the throne still yeah and until we see a safe haven rally where the where global currency flows don't go to the dollar <laughs> there's nothing to worry about here 
I think that's probably, uh, you know, the bottom line for me. Uh, so good discussion there. Um, let's turn to earnings season. This is this has been really positive, Jeff. I mean, we've had, um, you know, some of the highest beat rates we've seen recently, some of the biggest surprises in terms of the percentage upside overall uh, that we've seen recently. So, you know, coming into earnings season, we were looking for, or at least consensus was looking for 7% earnings declines in, in, in Q1. We're now tracking to about two. Now, we're over 80% done. So that's probably not going to move much from there, but that's already about five points of upside. Maybe we get another point and end up down one. So um, really nice, positive surprise when many, including ourselves, were worried about uh, downside risk here in light of the bank stress in the first quarter. There are a number of other challenges, of course, with you know tepid economic growth uh, and um, all of that. But you know, throw it all together, and um, companies have really surprised nicely. I think the biggest reason is is profit margins, which I allude to here in the um, in the title on the slide. It's hard to believe, I think, for many folks out there, but margins have actually increased quarter over quarter for the S and P five hundred, at mm -hmm. least based on the numbers we've gotten thus far. That is tremendous. So cost controls have certainly been part of it. We've also had pretty good revenue growth um, approaching 4% uh, for the quarter. So really great. And then, so that's one key takeaway. And then I'll, um, I'll, I'll go to the next one here. And this is just forward estimates for the S&P 500. Uh, and while many are looking for double digit declines in these estimates, they've actually stabilized and started to move higher. So, um, you know, we may not get any earnings growth this year for the S&P 500. Consensus is roughly flat. We see a little bit of downside to that, but we're not going to get a collapse based on what we just heard from corporate America, Jeff. What do you think? Well, we we do know from the Challenger job cuts reports that's you know been fairly consistent for the last year and a half that the cost cutting has been the driving reason why firms are are cutting labor, you know, right? Cutting jobs, labor costs are a, a fair chunk of total business operating costs. And so, you know, we know that firms have been very aggressive in in the cost cutting, uh, trying to get more efficient, uh, preparing for the downturn, if you will. Uh, so it's it's quite an interesting time where you know, folks, uh, if you're if you run a business, most likely your inventory management, your you know HR headcount management is in a much better space going into a you know potential recession than say you know, firms going into, you know, what would it look like going into the great financial crisis, for example? Yeah, I think it's important to point out that corporate executives are preparing for recession, and they have been for some time, maybe a mild one. I mean, I know I brought this up before, but how long has it been since Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan said that there's a hurricane coming, <laughs> right? That was quite a while ago, he reiterated it, then backed off of it. But that's been a while, right? And if you take surveys of corporate executives, you've seen these surveys, Jeff, they, you know, the predominant view is recessions coming in the next 12 months. So that has allowed these cost cuts, uh, at least to be proactive enough to limit margin compression. So, you know, and that's helped drive that slight uptick in margins quarter over quarter, which, which has been, uh, you know, great and certainly helped support stocks here in recent weeks. Also note that you know, you typically in a mild recession or an inflationary recession only get a couple hundred basis points of margin contraction. And we've already gotten that. So you can make an argument that the recession's priced in 
to margins already, which I think is really, um, really interesting. So um, yep. let's move. Let's move to preview the week here, uh, Jeff, although we're already you know into it. But the, the big news of the week, uh, I think, takes place. Uh, many of you are listening to this, um, you know, at the end of the day, Tuesday, right as the meetings in the White House take place, right, with congressional leaders. So maybe we'll start there. Um, thoughts on the debt ceiling? Are we going to make any progress here uh, in the White House Tuesday afternoon? Well, I, th- I think any of us that have been around the block for a little bit and watched, uh, you know, how politicians interact and prepare and plan, right? Unlike what we just said earlier, Jeff, about you know, business owners preparing for the slowdown, anticipating it by managing costs and et cetera. Uh, you know, you clearly you don't see that in the public sector, of course. Uh, but I I think they're gonna wait till the end. I think both sides of the aisle will be aligned that uh there there's no winners if the US defaults on debt. Uh and and so you know the the probability of a of a US default is is pretty much nil. Uh, so uh, I think going into some of the other major movers this week, it's, of course, on uh, on the 10th, we're going to have the uh, CPI report for April. And I think, you know, given the fact that Mannheim used vehicles are down, uh, used vehicle prices, uh, a little bit different story in new vehicle prices, but uh, you have some um, downward pressure or at least softening. So if you get a month on month change of, say, a, you know, 0.3 uh, you, you know, you're probably going to have a year-on-year number below five percent, and I think that's going to be a, a a great number for those that uh, you know want to put more risk into their portfolios. But uh, right now, consensus is you know saying holding steady. We're five percent previous month for April. Uh, you know, most likely five percent. I think there's downside risk to that, uh, given given what I just said. So, um, you know, a, a four. As long as it's not four point nine six, right? You know, uh, yeah. How is that? How is that going to be rounded up? Maybe this is where we're going to start saying, "Hey, we need more significant digits to this estimate." Right? <laughs> That's uh, that. That actually, I remember that was a, a big conversation um, back uh, when I was on the trade floor at B of A. Uh, y- you know, years ago, you, we wanted more significant digits here, uh, not just uh, what's printed on our Bloomberg screen. Yeah, I actually rounded this to the 10th place uh, for this slide. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, if, even if we get 4.99, it's still going to, you know, be uh, kind of consistent with this trend of inflation gradually coming down. Uh, maybe the recent weakness in oil prices will help that as well. And we'll get some uh, good news relative to uh, expectations on the CPI. And then same thing, PPI. I mean, maybe we're not going to get another um big drop in the ppi like we got last month moves all over the place but um certainly uh we should continue to see this decline you know we're talking about how a four handle would be well received you know after being in the fives you know maybe we get a four handle on cpi and maybe we get a one handle on earnings which would be earnings growth uh down one percent year over year would be would be a win uh as well so um anything else to highlight here for the week that folks should watch jeff I, well, I think uh, the 10th is going to be the big one. Uh, you know, on Friday, uh, University of Michigan, uh, consumers have been undershooting 
uh, inflation for a while. So there's really no surprise there. Uh, so I think most of the focus is going to be on that CPI report. And then, of course, uh, the continuation of those discussions in Washington regarding the debt ceiling. Yeah, and then earnings season is continuing this week, but it's really um, slowed down. We, I think we only have 32 S&P 500 companies uh, reporting. So, you know, again, the numbers are pretty well locked in. And I think the fact that estimates have held up so well and margins have been so resilient are, you know, those stories very positive stories and stories that will not change uh, with another few dozen companies. So um, I think with that, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up. Um, thanks, Jeff, for, for joining this week. I know we had to jig around schedules because of your travel plans, but uh, good to have you back uh, in the rotation after a little bit of a, of a hiatus. Um, we will uh, be back with you, of course, next week for another edition of LPL Market Signals. Thanks again for joining, everybody. Have a great day. Take care. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.